And this is Kim Davis and coming to you again from the floor of DMA and then in New Orleans. And with me today I have Marco Scognomilio. He's the global CEO of RAP, the global agency. Welcome. Nice to meet you, Kim. So the, um, you've been with RAP, you are just saying, about 19 years. The global CEO role is quite new and obviously that some big changes for you personally because it meant you coming to the States. Yeah. So tell me, how, how did that role change come about? Um, well, I was um, in the UK at the time and I was um, had the, uh, the role of global uh, president looking after, I guess, our global clients and, and global uh, business development and so forth. And, and prior to that, I've been looking after our UK, European and, and Asian offices. And part of my actually, that current responsibility at that time was also helping set up other businesses and so we set up in Berlin, Singapore, Shanghai and did a great partnership arrangement with a company in, in, in Dubai, so we set up our Dubai office. So that was all that was all good stuff. And then my CEO at the time, um, after two years, uh, left and um, I was had a quick phone call and I was told to come over to New York very quickly. Wow. <laughs> and um, it was just yeah, it was a great opportunity, you know. Yeah. And um, I love working at rap and I was saying to someone last night actually I've been very, very fortunate that I generally mean this. I just I, I, I've always enjoyed my job, you know, right. and uh, the opportunity to come to work in the US uh, for, a, for a period of time, wherever that may be, and to have the global responsibility was you know something I was really excited about. Um, and it's been almost a year now mm -hmm. um, since I've been here, and it's been good. You know, we've um, had to make a, a lot of changes in our, particularly in our, our New York office, uh, because which will come on to the points about how the industry's moved, is we really need to do almost like, without exception, we changed every single uh, leadership position. Um, really? Not because wow. there's any real, you know, uh, problems before in terms of performance. It was just we needed real practitioners who had years and years of experience to, to have more of a leadership role um, with our senior clients because, you know, what has really changed today is um, in the complex world that we all work in with, with um, you know, in business, and therefore our clients do. You know, clients need more than ever, you know, guidance in terms yes. of what to do and, and not to create solutions which are complicated because it's complicated enough. Um, and therefore, we need practitioners in our business who can really work with the most senior clients, you know, at the CMO, CIO, chief exec level, and talk with a business level, not just on the communications level. Um, around how to tackle the, the challenge of transformation to become more of a customer-centric business. Yeah. Um, so it's no longer just about you know putting a piece of communications out. And you know, our clients' lives, I'm sure you've seen this, are just so busy today. And oh, yes. caught, you know, the old days, you know, they spend 80% of their time with an agency, and now you know, they've got 80%, 90% other more complicated and complex things to think about. And therefore, when we come in, we have to be quick and to the point and come up with really good solutions, um, which is simple. It's a terrific challenge, isn't it? Because unlike the days when you'll come in there with several great creative ideas and show them, a, we love that, we'll go with that. It's now an environment where there are just so many channels which operate in so many different ways, the technologies which serve them, and then this emphasis on deriving data from everything you do and then optimizing based on the data. The agency figure really needs to be very versatile yeah. and very well versed in all these yeah. challenges. Uh, definitely, no, I agree. And it's interesting you say you say that because 
when you say that, you go, oh, crikey, where do I start? <laughs> right. You know, and I think this is where you need to be really disciplined and say, hey, you know, the whole cast and the horse piece, which is, okay, before you even get to that piece about the channels and the technologies, um, you have to come back to the fundamentals, which very much wraps me about 50 years, which is the customer. Right. You know, and, and very much, you know, we, we say as an agency, we're really focused on the individual. And that's because, you know, before we do anything else, we really need to make sure we're grounded and disciplined, understanding exactly who is its behavior we're trying to change and get down to that individual level. Because the danger is if you start at the channel level, which can easily happen today because there's so many options yeah. now and so many technologies, you get caught throwing everything out there when actually what you really need to do is something exactly who you're trying to influence and whose behavior you're trying to. Uh, change and, 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 and um, create an action from, then from there you can then start to work out, okay, this is what we need to do, this is where the priority sh- should be, and it just almost helps you see the wood for the trees a, yeah. a little bit, because that is, the, that is the challenge there. And then when you work out exactly what is it you want to do, and you go to your point about multi-channel, the other change for the agencies is they just have to be much more willing to collaborate and partner with um, technology companies, it may be other agencies, right. it may be with management consultancies, it may be with the clients themselves because of some in-house you know, capabilities they have around technology. So you have to be much more kind of broad-minded yeah. as marketers than we were before. Whereas then again, you know, I remember back in the, you know, the, the 90s the, or even the early millennials, you know, you do anything to own it all yourselves. You know? Right. And we can do that, we can do that. And clients see that straight away. Yeah. You know, so you have to be a better facilitator, enabler in partnerships as well. And, um, and that's where we stay true to what we're about, which is understanding customers and, and taking from there. That's something which, whenever I see anything about RAP, it comes across very clearly this idea of being fiercely focused on the individual. And I noticed on your website, you also say, fortunately, you're trying to reach all these people unfortunately we know who they are and that's something which has changed in your time isn't it because being focused on the customer once upon a time must have meant being focused on something like a persona because you had limited information now it's possible at least in principle to focus on a real individual because you know so much about what they do day to day. Mm. How's that changed the way you think about being customer centric? Oh massively and it's quite exciting actually because it allows you, arguably, to do all the stuff we've always kind of talked about over the donkey's years. It's quite, it's quite funny that everyone gets excited about data because you know, we've known it for 50 years. <laughs> right. That's what's been going on in our industry for so long. It's because now, more than ever, you really can get to do the level of personalization and relevance that we've always wanted to do yeah. and stay relevant during the whole journey. Well, you can certainly have the ambition to do that. Yes. It does get harder as they leave you from a known customer environment to a third-party customer environment, in other words, the digital ecosystem, if you like. Yeah. But again, with all the tagging, the technologies and appending of data, there is the opportunity to stay, to stay relevant. So I think that's what's positive about it all, is that this allows us to really, really stay relevant in, on a real-time basis, you know, and, um, and always be ever-present. And, and this is where the whole data privacy thing piece is also interesting yes. for us at the moment, because the danger is, and, you know, with all the headlines we had with Equifax uh, recently, um, and also just research that we've done in the US and research we've done in the UK around some work around GDPR changes, is consumers have got less trust with brands um, managing and holding their data. Um, but now there's more data than ever, so now should be the opportunity. So we can create more, you know, we can humanise the data more and create more relevance 
uh, that's a good opportunity for us. But the danger is we could let it get away away from us because we're not smart with how we use the data to create that personalization you talk about. Yeah, it, this does seem to be uh, a real concern. I was at a conference recently, mainly marketing operations and technology people, and a real sense of depression came over the room whenever anyone mentioned GDPR, the European regulations which, which are coming down the road. I mean, how much is it of that? How much is that going to be a game changer? How much is it going to stop the data train in its tracks? Yeah, no, it's, it's we, we did um, some work in the UK called uh, uh, Data Apocalypse. Ah, Data Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, right. like the doom and gloom headlines. <laughs> but about a year ago, in fact, I was inspired to do this because um, I'm going to name here Catherine Whitten, who's a CMO of Barleycard, said to me, "This is coming down the line." 18 months ago, he says, "You want to get on top of this." And I ran back to the agency, and long story short, we've done five or six events. The DMA have been heavily involved in the UK. We've done all sorts of events with clients. Um, and what we've said is that, you know, you have to get your act together on this. And what we've done is we've turned it into a, a, a positive in terms of helping brands understand, actually, yes, it could be a problem for it, but actually the opportunity is massive to create an, an environment where actually consumers want to opt in to you, Yes. which is ultimately where we all want to be. So it will stop the train the tracks, if you like, if brands don't change the way they act. And as you know, is it $20 million potentially fines mm. for getting it wrong? Huge, yes. Um, so now the responsibility is firmly in the hand of the brand. So, yeah, they've got to change. Otherwise, yeah. they won't be able to. I think it was it Whitbread in the UK. You'll find this online. In a panic, ditched all their email data. Oh, my Just goodness. ditched all. Yeah. Um, because they didn't know what, how we can't get our heads around this. Yeah. Um, so very much, absolutely. But they, they, we have to look at it positively, which is it's an opportunity to create the right operating environment to get the trust back. Well, that's, that's, that, that is the good side of it, isn't it? That brands will be forced in a position of talking to people who actually want to hear from yeah. them, rather exactly. than just blasting everybody. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. We have a little expression, which is... Um, you know, precision without empathy is basically um, programmatic, which is following people around the internet, following people in their last known yep. behaviour and shouting at them. Uh. And then empathy without um, um, precision is you've got something relevant to say, but you're just shouting at everyone. You know, it's right. mass advertising. So that's why this thing about precision and empathy, which is, you know, we've over-indexed on precision as an industry because we have to be precise in our target. It's yeah. great. But, and everyone's building the algorithms to be precise, okay? So everyone's ending up you know where they need to be when there's when someone's interested in their cars. Be it Mercedes, R, BMW, R, Rover, R, they're all getting there because they got the smart targeting. But actually, the differentiation comes and stand out when actually when you get there, give me something really emotionally to connect with, and that's why we talk about this precision and empathy around uh, you know data-driven marketing is, is the place to get to, so we can get consumers to say actually okay, I see the value you've got in my data. Yeah, and so I can tell you you've still got very much in mind, although you're dealing with these cutting-edge possibilities which data creates, you've still got in mind the idea of communicating directly with someone a message which they care about. That's still important in, in what you do. Yeah, very much so. And, and also, I think, you know, if I look at sometimes some of the clients that we all, we will have within the RAP portfolio, um, I use charities as an example, okay, so... Um, that's probably a good example where, you know, we want to be able to talk to people on an individual level because either from a caring point of view or from raising funds to help with, you know, for um, protection crews of children with the NSPCC through to cancer 
cancer research. So we have to, you know, there's, there's a real value exchange there because some businesses survive on that and literally in terms of cause-related and then, you know, even, you know, um, disaster funds. And then through to, you know, everything from um, a, a banking, you know, they, you know, why shouldn't um, I as a bank, as a HSBC bank or a Barclays, build a value exchange relationship with consumers? That's what you, they want to do. You know, it's not just about you, the bank giving something to me. I want something out of you as well. So, yeah, very much so. But even how yeah. you have to get it right. Yeah. And we've seen the financial sector in particular make leaps and bounds in terms of their their digital yeah. footprint and being willing to yeah. talk to um, talk to consumers on an individual basis. Now give me some idea of the range of verticals you're involved with. It must be pretty broad. Yeah. Yeah, crikey, yes. Well, you know, I would say the chunky ones, in other words, where we've got most of our business, I would say, um, if I look at it globally on a macro level, and you know, I would say automotive, mm-hmm. you know, strong in the US, strong in, in Europe and, and Asia. So real, and actually is a theme here, automotive, uh, financial services, payments, you know, um, very much so there. Um, uh, healthcare, very strong healthcare. And then the other fourth sector, I would say, whether the scale is really around um, uh, travel, if you like. Right. Um, so, you know, brands like Best Western, Virgin Atlantic, and so on. And, and what's interesting about those, you know, those four there, they're all heavy on data. Yeah. You know, no surprise, you know. And they, they, you know, it's about one-to-one engagement. It's about, you know, direct selling and so forth. So, and, um, and you can build, and they're looking for, you know, sustained engagements and relationships with their consumers. So the economics tend to work out. Where interesting, where the our industry still struggles, is really maybe what they call here CPG, FM, FMCG. Because yeah. it's more high volume, lower margins, if you like. Yes. And um, I wouldn't say our industry has really cracked that yet. Um, I think P&G do a very good job in that area because they don't look at it just as individual brands. They look at it as portfolio brands in a household. Um, but I think that area is really interesting in terms of making sure consumers always have access to information. So it's, that's the other thing is direct marketing now is an always-on environment. Right. You know, that's the other thing for brands. You know, you can't wait till it's your the time to do your you know Q1 campaign. You know, they decide when it's time for a camp, you know, when it's time to find out about you. So you have to always make sure you've got that total access you know, that, to your brand. That, that's fascinating as well. It's something we could talk for hours about, which we don't have time for. But someone told me recently the, the funnel, the whole, the whole concept, is pretty much gone because consumers yeah. will make up their own minds <laughs> yeah, these no, no. days about when and how no, they exactly. engage, what device, and so on. Yeah. It's yeah. a new world. Yeah, you actually maybe think actually it's visually then because you remember that there was a funnel with the the, le- or the leaky bucket. Oh yeah. You'd almost <laughs> have the funnel out with holes everywhere because they come in coming in and out wherever they want. And yeah. funny, if I, you might see it on our website. We have what's called the infinity loop, mm-hmm. which basically says, look, you know, it's we call it path to purchase, path to passion. So path to per- acquisition, good old language. Path to passion is retention, advocacy. Right. And what we're just saying is, you know, the whole infinity loop, they could come in anywhere. You know, so it's just as, and, and again, that's what's exciting about our industry. You know, it's it's you know for us, it's, it's direct marketing everywhere, really. Yeah. You know, and it, and you know, I think part of our theme today we're talking about later on is, you know, data-driven marketing is is at the heart of brand engagement because it's about experiences. Brands are built on experiences, and how you experience at a one-to-one level can really ruin a brand or make a brand. Okay, so exciting and new challenges by yeah. every day. Marco, thanks for joining us. I wish you all the best with your new role in New York. And uh, yeah. best to you. And nice to meet another Briton in New Orleans. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thank okay, thanks everyone for listening in.